All right. Turn with me to Romans chapter 2. So if you're here with us this morning, we uh, have collectively as an assembly started to go through the book of the Romans. And last week, our brother Brian took us through uh, uh, Romans chapter 1, verses uh, 18 through the end to verse 32. And we'll pick up this morning at Romans chapter 12 from verse 1 all the way to verse 16. I'm sorry, two. Two, I apologize. There was a two in there, so it counts. <laughs> Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. Let's read so we we'll make sure we're all on the same page here. If you're in chapter 12, you'll realize it really quickly that you're on the wrong page. Romans chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge... Practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man? You who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering? Not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. But in accordance with your hardness and impenitent heart, you're treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Who will render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for honor, um, seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish. On every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first, and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first, and also to the the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. For as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearer of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doer of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the works of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray before we begin. Our Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you as we open Your Word and proclaim Your Word. 
Father, let your spirit guide and lead every thought and every word that proceeds. Let your name be glorified and your name be edified this morning. I ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. So here we are in chapter 2. Now, before we delve into these verses, I do want to kind of remind you of the context or where we are in this book. So last week, uh, our brother Brian was in chapter 1, and he dealt with the main theme of this section in Romans. And it's found in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who will suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And so we're in this section of Romans in which God is revealing the unrighteousness of men. And it is in this context and it is in this light in which we then have to take a look at what we have here in Romans chapter 2. There are some verses here that we can get tripped up on if we don't have a proper perspective or proper context. You see, in chapter 1, the Lord was proclaiming judgment upon people, upon humanity, upon nations, upon groups of people. Well, how do we know that's to be true? Well, uh, just just very quickly, you can see by the pronouns in chapter 1. Look, 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 at, uh, look, look at verse 19, where we're just at verse 18. Verse 19 says, Because uh, what may be known of God is manifested uh, to them. Them being plural. For God has shown it to them. Verse 20, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes which are clearly seen and understood uh, by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, that they are without excuse. And, and I could go on in this chapter. It's they, them, themselves. They, them, themselves. Who is He speaking of? Well, He's speaking of the nations. He's speaking of uh, of of, 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 of ethnicities, of groups of people, villages, and their morality, and the degradation of the morality, and how they fall before God. And, and, and all of chapter 1 is God's revealing light to them, and them rejecting it, and God judging them for it. And I would tell you that you, you can take chapter 1 and you could parallel this. I would say you can even parallel it with our own nation. You could take a look at the, 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 the degradation of the United States of America morally simply by tracing it through Romans chapter 1. And as God, step by step, judges this nation. If you ask me, we're there at the very last step where He's given us over to debase, debase minds, reprobate minds, worthless minds. Isn't that the world we live in today? Isn't that the society we live in today where we cheer on those who are doing wrong and we do wrong ourselves and we justify it and so in chapter one he's speaking of of, of nations he's speaking of 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 the masses but when he gets to chapter two what happens to the pronoun well look down it says therefore you well now hold on a second now there's a shift here it's an important shift why does Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, go from they and them and themselves to you? Well, we first have to ask who you is. And secondly, um, we then have to uh, uh, consider 
Why the change? So who is you? Who is you, the in, uh, 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 inexcusable man? You who judge, who is you? Well, there's a lot of debate as far as who the you is. Uh, a lot of good men, a lot of good scholars, theologians, uh, kind of debate this back and forth. So uh, I'm not going to tell you I, I definitively have an answer, but I, I do have my own personal leaning to who you is. Now, one of, them, one of the interpretations of who you is speaking of, if you look at verse 17 of chapter 2, it says, indeed, you are called Jews. And so, great theologians make the case that, that Paul here is speaking to the religious Jews. And rightfully so. You begin to read the context of this, of this passage and the verses, and it absolutely applies to Jews. For what were Jews? Well, Jews had the law. The Jews were given the oracles of God. The Jews had had a chip on their shoulder. They were better than everybody else. They were right and everybody else was wrong. They would not even enter the home of a Gentile because they were so good. And so Paul here could be talking to the religious Jews, the self-righteous Jews of his day. Another interpretation of who you may be I hope you're tracking with me. I know, I know this is a lot of technical uh, stuff. But it's important to, to, to think about these things. Is that you is a little more broad than just the Jews. That you implies to not just the Jews who think themselves to be right, but also Romans, Greeks, those who think themselves to be self-righteous. Is that possible? Were, were the Jews the only ones who cornered, uh, have the corner of the market of self-righteousness? <laughs> I think every single soul upon this earth has, has that corner, doesn't it? We all think we're right. We all think we are right before. We look, we look down and we look around and we, I'm getting ahead of myself, excuse me. Let me back up here. So, which out of the two is it? Well, my personal opinion. So take that for what it's worth. I think it's a little more broad than the Jews. And the, the reason I say that is because the Holy Spirit led Paul to, to very clearly direct his comments towards the Jews in verse 17. He very much very, very could have done it in verse 1, but he chose not to. He chose not to. Now, now it comes to the second part of it. Why is that? Why, why, why did he change from, from they, them, themselves to you? Well, for that, I, I want you to go back with me to, to chapter 1. Because it, it, the very first word, and I, and I know I've said this before and I'll say it again, but the very first word of, of Romans chapter 12 verse 1 is what? Therefore. And I don't know which preacher said this, but it's always stuck with me, and I say it myself because it's always been helpful to me. When you find it, therefore, you have to find out what it's there for, right? So Paul, through the Holy Spirit, says, therefore, you are inexcusable. Okay, well, what, what, what just happened beforehand? What, what, what caused the Holy Spirit to, 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 to have, pen, have Paul pen the word, therefore? Well, we have to go back, don't we? So look at verse 28 of chapter 1. It says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, speaking of they, them, the world, uh, society, 
God gave them over to debased minds to do those things which are not fitting. Now, there's going to be a list of, of, of horrible uh, 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 sins. Being filled with all unrighteousness, se- uh, sexual immorality, uh, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. There are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Oh, that's quite a list. Now remember, I remind you back to the context of this. Paul is writing these to the readers in Rome and he's highlighting to to them to the fact that God's righteousness is being revealed to all men because of their unrighteousness. And so I can imagine a Roman reader reading this letter and he gets to verse 28. And he says, man, that, 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 that's, a, that's a tough list. That's a big list. I, I, I'm not guilty of almost any of these things. I'm, I, I, I think, Paul, Paul, you're, you're absolutely right. This society we live in, it's a deplorable society, Romans. These Romans that we live amongst. They're, they're vile people. I'm a good person. I'm a good individual. Let them have it, Paul. Let them have it, they may say. I mean, I'm pretty sure the Jews were thinking that very same thing. The Jews who lived in Rome, the Jews who lived in that in that time, in Rome, and saw the 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 the, the, the absolute deplorable moral state of Rome. And so, the Holy Spirit led Paul to say, "Hey, hey, hey! Listen, listen! I know I'm, God's judging nations and people concerning the 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 moral state and what they've degraded to." But I want you to remember, you are not any better. You are inexcusable. Now, I want to be very clear here. Again, the context is speaking to unbelievers. Speaking to unbelievers. People who have not been born again, who have not been regenerated. People who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. For we're, we're surrounded with people like that. At work... I, I, I can I can take a poll amongst all my work, all my coworkers. Do you think you're a good person? Well, of course I am. Do you stand on the on the side of good or evil? On the side of good. Huh. So if you stand before God and said, "Why would you? Why would I let you into my heaven?" He says, "Well, because I'm a good guy." I'm, I, 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 I try to do good. I try to be good to my kids. I I, I, I give charity from time to time. You know, I, I give a couple dollars to the guy who's begging on the street. Are you? Well, listen, the, the Holy Spirit wants to be absolutely clear. You are inexcusable. You are inexcusable, condemned, guilty before God. There is no standing before a holy, righteous God based upon your goodness. You see, the Holy Spirit, I think, began to understand that the the reader was very quickly going to say, well, all these judgments, that's good for them. 
But I'm a good person. I'm a good person. It's very easy. And so, chapter, verse 1. It says, you're an excusable man. Whoever you are, who judge? Whoever you are, who judge? Now listen. Who doesn't do that? Well, you know, at work, I hear it all the time, you know. Oh man, you know. That guy over there, man, he's really lazy. He never does his job. He, he's always late on those things. He, and yet he himself is guilty of what? Of being lazy. Oh, that, that, that guy over there, that guy over there, you know, he, he, he plays golf during work hours. He, he goes, he goes to the beach during, and he's stealing from the company. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm padding my hours over here because I need a little extra cash. You are guilty, <clears throat> whoever you who judge. In whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same thing. And this, we get into this section of judging. Now, <clears throat> I, I want to be I want to be careful here because I don't want you to take this passage of of, of judgment and take it out of context. When 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 the Spirit of God inspired Paul to write these words, he's writing in the context of the guilt of mankind. The guilt of mankind. You see, when I point and see the wrong in someone else, I am a law against myself. I am guilty. I am. Pointing back to myself. Now, what it's not saying is what we hear today. Oh, well, you, you shouldn't judge. <laughs> you, you know, you have a problem with, with, with those kinds of people? Well, you, sh- you, you should not judge. That's not what it's saying here. And, and, and I, I don't want to go down that rabbit trail because we can spend a lot of time there. We can maybe do it tonight during small groups, but... Look at the context and look what it's saying. You who, who judge practice the same things. It doesn't say you who, pra- you who judge these things will eventually practice these things. It says, no, you who judge these things practice these things. So if I were to say, hey, listen, you really shouldn't cheat on your taxes. That's stealing. Well, hopefully, when I say that to somebody, I, I, I'm not cheating on my taxes because Mike hasn't come over and knocked on my door yet. Or Chris, right? So there is something to judging and calling a wrong a wrong. But when we're talking about the context of Romans chapter 2, we're talking about the heart. We're talking about the, the, the guiltiness of one before God. Judging. Now, one, one last thing before we move on to verse 2, and my time is very quickly fleeting, is the, the, the Lord speaks about this syndrome that we have in our hearts. Look at him. Look at him. Oh, oh no, I, I'm not that bad. You, sh- you should look at the ne- my neighbor. My neighbor next door, he's, he's really a scoundrel. Uh, what, what does it say in Matthew chapter 7? That there, when, when, when the guy sees his brother and he's got a little speck in his eyes. You know? Oh boy. He said, listen man, you, 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 have, you have a little something right here. You, you want me to help you? In the meantime, you, you have this 
It calls it a plank, a, you know, a, a two by four. I don't know what you would have. I don't know. Maybe, maybe ben, ben will tell you. You know, maybe a screwdriver in the eye. Do, do you want somebody with a with impaired vision? Is the point. Number one, telling you that you have a speck in your eye, and number two, actually helping you with the speck in your eye. No, no. They're both. They're both guilty. They're both guilty. The Bible exhorts the one to remove the plank out of your eye. In other words, identify the, the, the error in your own ways and repent, and then you help your brother, is what it exhorts him to do. So, you're inexcusable, O oh man. Verse 2 says, But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. Now, I... I so much can be said about this. Um, when we consider judgment, when we consider judging, I, as, as much as I'm thankful to be in the United States of America with the judicial system that we have, is our justice system just? Well, sometimes. Or maybe you could say most of the time. Well, why isn't it always just? Well, because men... Men don its halls. Men sit at its benches. Men are the ones declaring the verdict. When we consider truth, we live in a society where truth is relative. You've heard this idea of postmodernism. We live in a postmodernism world where, where truth is determined by our culture. And, and it all gets kind of fuzzy, and, and I'm not going to get into philosophy with you. But truth becomes almost relative. So if I said to you, I can, I can grab a football and I can throw it 200 yards. Now you, you, you look at me and you say, well, he looks like he can throw pretty far, but 200 yards, that's impressive. Is that true or not true? Well, I mean, LJ could probably throw it 200 yards. I can't. He'll say, no, he can't throw it 200 yards. Well, my truth is not truth, is it? Why? Well, because of the source. Because of, of the individual delegating the truth. Now, where is their absolute truth? Well, in God. Well, God judges according to truth. Oh. That, 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 that's a scary thing. That's a scary thing, brothers and sisters, friend, and I, to stand before a God who judges in truth. No bias, no partiality. We'll, we'll get to that. He, he, he will look at you and, and he will know exactly where you stand in your acts and in your intent and thoughts. And he will judge in truth. So when you, we go back to verse 1, when you say, hey, hey, listen, that, 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 that co-worker, my man, he is lazy. And the Lord says, yeah, there's laziness in you. Remember when you should have been doing this and you were playing video games? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Judges in truth. Verse 3, it says, and you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same that you will escape the judgment of God. 
Isn't this the, 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 the cry of, of, of every individual in humanity? That somehow they're going to squeak on by? That somehow they're going to uh, uh, slip through the cracks? That, that, that God is going to sit in, in His throne in heaven and have to deal with, 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 with the Hitlers of this world and, and, the, and the Pol Pots of this world. And, and he have, He'll have so much to do that, yeah, little old me, man, I, I, mostly good, a couple bad things, you know, sneak through the door. There's no escape. There's no, there's no wiggling through it. God who judges in truth, according to truth, and there is no escape. To the, to the, to the moralist, to the individual, the thing who thinks of himself ethical. There's a lot of moral people in this world, isn't there? There's a lot of moral people who, who, who go to church. There's a lot of moral people who go to mosque. There's a lot of moral people who, who go wherever. Who think themselves to be good. And they are going to be judged according to truth. And there is no escape. That's a frightful thing. Now, verse 4. Verse 4 is a beautiful verse. I, I do want to spend a little more time in verse 4. Uh, and, and hopefully you'll have more time to discuss this. Verse 4, he says, Or you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Now listen, he's crying out to the, to the one who thinks himself to be good. He's, he's crying to the heart of the moralist, the one who thinks himself better than his neighbor, who thinks he can earn his way to heaven. He says, listen, do you despise the riches of his goodness? Well, I mean, that, that's a strong declaration there, man. I mean, despise is a strong word. I, so some moral people may even think there's a God and say, yes, there's a God out there, a benevolent, loving God who loves all and is going to let everybody into the heaven. I, I, I believe in some form of God. Here the Spirit is saying, do you despise the goodness of His riches? Well, okay, fine. How do I despise the goodness of His riches? Well, His long-suffering and His forbearance. What is forbearance? What is forbearance? Not to get too ahead of ourselves, but forbearance is found in Romans chapter 3. Forbear is to bear before. Forbear. What does He forbear? What does he forbear on our behalf? What does he forbear on your behalf? What does he forbear amongst all of humanity? What does he put up with and endure? Well, it's our sin. It's, it's, it's our rebellious heart. It's our, it's our rejection. It's our denial of who he is and what he has done for us. He forbears. He's forbeared from the moment that Adam fell. You see, when Adam and Eve took of the fruit and partook, what did they deserve? Death. Did they die? No, they didn't die physically. They died spiritually, yes. But they didn't die physically. 
The, the, you see, the, the, the punishment of their sin was not immediately carried out. Was not immediately carried out. You, you know, listen, we, we, we live in a, in a world that, that abuses the goodness of God. We live in a society that, that, that takes advantage of the goodness of our God and His forbearance and His long-suffering. He forbears our sin. Every time we sin and we know we've sinned, and we say, huh, whatever. I didn't get caught. I move on. God forbears it. He's long-suffering. Long-suffering. He patiently suffers as you continue to reject Him. As you continue to rebel against Him. He puts up with it. I, you know, I, I, I think of, of myself and, oh, how, how impatient I am. I, I, I rarely can forbear the wrongs that others commit to me. I barely can, can, can suffer, suffer long to those who wrong me. And yet the Lord, in His rich goodness, I, I, I didn't emphasize that word, the richness of his goodness. And the word riches implies not just his goodness, but his long suffering and forbearance. It, 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 it's, it's overwhelming. His forbearance. Listen, uh, go, go to chapter three, and I don't want to take too much from, from our brother Aaron next week. Um, let's see here. His forbearance in Romans chapter three, verse 25, ju- just, uh, for the sake uh, of time, he says, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood, through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because of his, uh, because of his forbearance, God passed over the sins that were previously committed. Now, now I, I want you to, to catch the wording there is very, very specific. Christ being the propitiation through his blood, through faith demonstrates the righteousness of God because of his forbearance. God had passed over the sins that were committed previously. What sins were committed previously? All the sins that were committed from Calvary all the way to Adam. The Lord forbore. He forbore all those sins. And so here, the Holy Spirit is crying out to the moralist, to the one who thinks himself to be right. Do you despise the riches of goodness? The rich the, I'm sorry, the riches of his goodness, his long suffering, and his forbearance. Well, you say, well, no, no, I'm, I'm a good individual. When I'm wrong, I'm wrong. He says, listen, do you realize that the goodness of God? So it's a rhetorical question. Uh, in, in verse four, it says, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Leads you to repentance. Knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Listen to me. Every time, every time you fall and you sin, and you know you sinned, and God doesn't kill you, God's showing forbearance and goodness towards you. And and, and that's supposed to lead you to the point to say, hey, I have a problem. I have a problem before God. I should 
Repent. It's another big word. I should repent. Meaning, to change my mind, to turn 180 degrees. To, to, to say, God, I have sinned, I know I have sinned, and to turn to Him. To him. To repent. You know, the, the, the Old Testament is riddled with this goodness of God. I, I couldn't help in my study to, to go to, to Nehemiah chapter 9. I know Brother Mike has been studying Nehemiah, but in, in, this, in this chapter of Nehemiah chapter 9, you have the, the nation of Israel coming back to the land and, 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 and building the temple and building the walls, and they finally got together, and they had this moment of confession. And, and as a whole, the, the, the nation of Israel, of Judah, confessed before God. What did they confess? They confessed their sins. And they declared the goodness of God. They would say, Oh, Lord, you, you would send the prophets. And our fathers would despise and kill the prophets. Oh, but your mercy and your goodness to us. You did not, you did not destroy us. You did not consume us. But you kept on providing long suffering and mercy. I, I don't, I would like to spend time in it, but we don't have time to go into it. We're only in verse four. Knowing, and th- this is an important point in verse four, knowing that the goodness of God, listen, we live in a world that, 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 I'm uh, saying it, it takes advantage of the goodness of God. And, and we get used to the fact that God doesn't strike us dead every time we sin. And when bad things happen, what happens in this society? They'll say, well, where's God? Where's God in all this? What happened to... In 9-11, the, the world was up in arms. Why would God allow such a thing? Well, I mean, just, just yesterday you were telling me that you don't believe in God. And now all of a sudden, now, where's God in all this? When, when there's a disaster that happens, whether, whether, whether it's floods, hurricanes, or whatever, people cry out and say, where is God? I would point you to what the Lord said to the very same question, actually. The people, the people would come to the Lord and say, Lord, 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 listen, you know, there were some Galileans, you know, that they were in the temple. And they were, they were there to, to, to perform sacrifices unto the Lord, to, to, to worship the Lord. And, 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 a, and a garrison of troops came in and killed them. And their blood was mingled with the sacrifice. Oh, oh Lord, also, there was a tower in Siloam. And this tower failed and fell and killed 20 people. I, what, 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 how do we, is God, is God judging these people? Is God, is God destroying these evil people? You know what God, Jesus' answer was? They're not any worse than you are. They're no different than you are. You're a sinner. They're a sinner. You should repent. But you don't know what day you're going to die. And so we live, we live in a world where the goodness of God is abused and we get used to the fact that, that we deserve kindness. We deserve goodness. We deserve uh, to, to be comfortable. We deserve to have rights. We don't deserve any of these things. We're guilty before God. And all these things are to point us to the fact that we need a Savior. And I must move on quickly. Verse 5, in accordance with the hardness of your impenitent heart, you treasure up 
wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation and the righteous judgment of God. This is the sad state of all humanity. That God gives them light. God sheds upon their heart light. And when they refuse it, what do they do? They treasure up a little bit of wrath for themselves. It's almost like their 401k. They put a little, they square a little bit away. A little more each time. For when the day of wrath comes, they're at the end of the great white judge throne, I'm sorry, the great white judge uh, throne judgment. I'm sorry, I can't get that right in my head now. It says that all will stand before Christ. It says that the books, this is Revelation chapter 20, if, you, if you're wondering. It says that all the books will be open and they will be judged according to their deeds. And you know what God's going to show them? I, 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 I revealed to you in creation who I am. What did you do? Well, you suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. Yeah. So you're guilty, aren't you? Well, here, I, I brought an individual over here to, to, to be a witness to you by his life and his words. What did you do? You mocked him. You called him a fool. You treasure up for yourselves wrath. One last thing before we move on to this verse. It's a very important verse. Listen, I want you to catch this. It says, The revelation of the righteous judgment of God. The revelation of the righteous judgment. Judgment of God. I, I know it, it, it can go being unsaid, but it is the righteous judgment of God. Listen, there at the end, when every individual stands before God, there isn't an individual, there will not be an individual either who lived upon earth or is an angel, a fallen angel, will stand up and say, raise a hand and say, that's not fair. I, I, I'm sorry, I, 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 I contest the verdict. No. It says all mouths will be stopped. The righteous judgment of God. There's no escaping it. His judgment is in truth. The righteous judgment of God. Now, verse 6 is who, who will render to each one according to his deeds. Now, we get into this section, and um, it, this section can be a little difficult, and so I, I will do my best to be as clear as possible. Here, the judgment of God is according to, 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 to works, to deeds. Now, I don't want you to get, get confused here. When you read verse 7, it says, it says He will render to these each according to their deeds. And in verse 7, it says, Eternal life to those who by patience, continuous in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality. You say, well, so if God's going to judge based upon our works and you can earn these things, are you preaching a works-based gospel? Can I get to heaven by my good works then, is, is the question. <clears throat> and this is where there's some confusion. And how do, we, how do we clarify this verse? How do we understand this verse in the context that it's found that doesn't contradict other scriptures? Well, I'll give you an example. Just turn the page over. In, in, in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, it says this, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in, the, in his sight. For by the law is the, uh, I'm sorry, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Okay? That verse clearly says, hey, listen, by no deeds of the law, you'll be justified. 
Well, here he's saying that God will render, according to your deeds, eternal life. Well, how do we understand that? Well, there's, there's two predominant understanding or interpretations of this verse. And I'll give you both. And again, I'll give you my opinion, which, whatever that's worth, uh, I, I lean one way or the other, right? So there's two ways of understanding it. Number one, uh, what it does not mean, right? It clearly cannot mean that you can receive eternal life by good works. For there's a myriad of verses that I can give you that say the opposite. It is by faith, not of works, lest any man should boast, right? So what does it mean? Well, some would point out to the fact that this is not necessarily speaking of salvation itself, but it's what leads to salvation. For example, the idea of Cornelius. You guys remember the story of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, I believe. In Acts chapter 10, here you have us a Roman centurion who the Lord himself would declare would be one who gave alms to the poor and who was remembered by God for his works. Right? Now, in our own terminology, Cornelius was not saved at the time. He was just a good man. But his works mattered. His works mattered because his works were remembered before God. And so, an angel came to him. And the angel says to him, hey, listen, your, your, your works have been come to, uh, 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 to remembrance, and, and the Lord wants you to send somebody to go get Peter. Wow. Okay. So, the Lord is judging Cornelius based upon his works. Now, is he saved? Well, no, not yet. Not at all. You have the whole story of Peter down. Uh, 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 they go down, get Peter. Peter sees the vision. Peter comes, comes to Cornelius. And when Cornelius sits before him, what doesn't Peter say? Does Peter say, well, you know, I, I, he does say, I, I, I kind of recognize that God has, shows no partiality. There's no partiality with God. Right? Peter begins to say the very same things that, that, that Paul is saying here. But he begins to, to preach to him the gospel. And he says to him uh, concerning Jesus Christ who came, who died and rose again. And, and, and they were tasked to, to preach this message of the gospel for the forgiveness of sins. This is Peter speaking to Cornelius, a, a man who has good works. Okay? You're tracking with me, right? Now, when Peter says he's preaching the message of Jesus Christ to those who need the forgiveness of sin, did Cornelius say, hey, hold on a second now. Now, Peter, um, you see an angel showed up and said my good works came up for a memorial or, or, or came up before the Lord and, and therefore that's why I sent you. I'm a good guy. You see, I, I, I give alms to the poor people. People know I'm a good guy. Why do I need forgiveness of sins? Is that what happened? No. No, not at all. Far from it. If, for it says, when, when, when Peter was, was talking about Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, resurrection, and that the message was concerning the forgiveness of sins, it says before Peter can shut his mouth, before he can end the sermon, before he can close in a word of prayer, you know what happened? Cornelius got saved. It says that the Spirit came and indwelt him. And he was saved. Was he saved by his works? No. He was not saved by his works. What, what was he saved by? His faith. 
The, the, the faith in Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins. That's what saved him. But did his works matter? Well, yes, it, it does matter. God, God looks, at, looks at the heart. What, God, what he's talking about is judging the acts, the deeds of a man. That matters. It's not what saves the man. But it does matter. Well, okay, so, so, let me give you one more just so, so you don't throw, throw any stones at me. In Revelation chapter 20, in that great scene in heaven, it says that the books will be opened and they will be judged according to their works. And judgment will be dispensed based upon what is written of their works. Now, what determines whether they go into the lake of fire or they don't? Is it their works? No, absolutely not. In Revelation chapter 20, it's very clear. What determines whether they go into the lake of fire or not? Whether their name is written in the Lamb's book of life. So I'm not preaching here a works-based gospel at all. But when we read verse 7 concerning eternal life, I believe is concerning the light that each person is given and what they do with that light. You see, Cornelius, whatever light was bestowed upon him concerning the, the one true God and who he is and his character, Cornelius seemed to be a seeker of God. He's one who sought God, and God sought him. And therefore he was saved. God honored his seeking. So it matters what we do. That's one interpretation of it. Um, the second interpretation of verse 7. How do we reconcile this? How do we reconcile the fact that, that, that here we are, God is, God is, is judging according to deeds, according to, uh, to works, and yet here we're talking about eternal life. And it's actually a very simple interpretation. Well, the interpreter would say, if you can keep the law, if you can keep the entire law, would God be right or righteous in giving you eternal life? I mean, it, it, it actually does say uh, 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 in the patient continuance of doing good. Uh, if one could could be born and and could from the moment go live a perfect life, doing the law, doing what he should be doing and not doing what he shouldn't be doing, and he comes to the end of his life and stands before God. Would God be just and right in giving him eternal life? Well, yes. True. Absolutely. Now, there's problems with that because we just read a verse that by the deeds of the law, no man will be justified. Right? So if we say, well, yes, God is going to judge all according to their deeds, eternal life to those who, who keep the law and, and keep it completely. Right? Well, that, that is true. And, and we can carry on. Right? So, there's there's the two main interpretations. I have interpretations. I would lean towards the first if you haven't noticed. But I leave it for you to start struggling and, and wrestle with these things. These are important things, right? We balance Scripture with Scripture, right? No verse stands alone, and we don't build an entire doctrine upon one verse, right? And so this is how we can understand this verse, verse 7. And so verse 7 and verse 8, just very quickly because I am out of time, you, you have you have the the uh, the judgment of those who... Receive eternal life and the judgment of those who receive indignation and wrath. Just a real quick on verse, um, verse eight. 
But those who are self-seeking, right? If God is going to judge you based upon your works, if God is going to judge you based upon your intent, I, I, I would I would pose to you that the very definition of sin is self-seeking, which is a very scary thing. And, and the proof for that, I would give you, I would, I would point you back to Genesis chapter one. I'm sorry, not Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter two or three. Oh, I can't remember now. What, what was it that Eve was tempted by? Ah, oh, well, look at that. Look at that fruit of that tree. Well, it, it can make one wise. It, it, you, you could be like God. Oh, well, she looked at it. She pondered it. What was she thinking? Was she seeking the well-being of Adam? No. no. She was thinking the well-being of herself. Self-seeking. We'll be judged based upon our works, if you're judged based upon what you desire, man, will you fall short. This phrase too, they do not obey truth. They do not obey truth is an interesting phrase. Well, we saw it in Romans chapter 1, right? God God declares himself, he he shows himself in creation. And, And what do people do? They don't obey it. I, I just one little story. I, I, this is years ago. We were on the beach one time, and 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 we were passing out tracks, and there was a young man who who engaged somebody, and so I went over to help. I think it was Lori. I went to help her, and and he was a bit, you know, dr- drunk at the time, and, and and we were talking, and he was slurring his words, and and I was challenging him. I was saying, you know. What about God? What about the creation? Oh, I don't believe in God. There is no God. I, science explained God away. He said to me. And I said to him, his name, his name was Roddy. I said, Roddy, I said, look out there. Look at that beach. Look at the ocean. Look at the sky. You look at it and tell me that the, there is no God. He didn't say another word. The simple fact that he looked upon the beauty of nature, it kept his mouth closed. And yet, humanity has the beauty of nature from time and time again, and they what? They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They do not obey the truth. All right. I'm going to land the plane here. We're not going to get to the last section here, but I, I do want to highlight one little thing just to emphasize this idea that this context and uh, of this passage here was to the ones who thought themselves better, self-righteous. We begin in verse 9 at the end. The, uh, Paul introduces this idea that to the Jew first and also to the Greek and then also in verse 10, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, concerning God's judgment of those based upon their works. You see, the, 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 the Jewish individual thought himself to be privileged, and they were privileged to an extent. But they also thought themselves to be self-righteous. 
And so Paul, at the beginning of this letter, began in verse uh, in verse 16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and then also to the Greek. Even in that statement, there could be a sense of pride, isn't there? The, the, the Jews would say, well, 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 you see, Christ came through the Jews and, and the, the gospel came first to the Jew. It says came to Jerusalem, then to Judea, then to Samaria, and then to the other parts of the earth. You see, the, the, these, 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 these Greeks, these Gentiles need to be judged. They're the ones who need to be straightened out. And I would highlight to you here that just because you haven't received more light, it doesn't mean you're in a place of privilege. Yes, it is true that you are in a place of privilege if you obey the light. But if you disobey the light, oh, the judgment is greater. The judgment will be harder. So here, when Paul writes concerning the judgment of those who do evil to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. I, I don't have time to develop it, but, but I would point to you to the fact that there will be those who stand up as witnesses in the end concerning the light, and concerning what you've responded to. I would point you to the example of Capernaum. The Lord would say of Capernaum that in the day of judgment, the Queen of Sheba will stand up and testify against you. Why would the Queen of Sheba testify against a little town called Capernaum? Well, you see, the Queen of Sheba only heard of a king named Solomon who God had blessed with all wisdom. And she got on her camel and traveled hundreds, hundreds of miles to see it for herself. And yet Capernaum had the Son of God dawning its streets. And most were probably not bothered to go outside their houses to hear. The light that you're given, you will be judged by. And that, that's the, the, the next section, but we're out of time. We'll, we'll have to tackle some of these things tonight in our small groups. Let us pray. Our Lord and Father, we, Father, we thank you that you are a just God. We thank you that you will judge all things justly in truth. Father, we thank you that you look at each individual and you bestow upon them the riches of your goodness. Father, if there's any individual here that doesn't know you, and, and that, 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 that is sitting in this chair, in, the, in these chairs, and they think that they are a good person, and that, that, that by their goodness, they're going to be able to enter into your presence. Father, I, I pray that you won't let them leave thinking such a, such a false statement. For your word is abundantly clear. You are inexcusable, O oh man condemned and guilty before a holy and righteous God. 
Father, help us to grasp these things. Help us tonight as we discuss some of these uh, verses, Lord. Lead us with your spirit, Lord. Edify your son. I ask all these things in his precious name. Amen.